From the world's bastion of freedom come new levels of repression, suppression, and silencing of true speech driven by a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? I don't think so. So how does the truth avoid being a casualty? It finds an ally. The Truth News Network. And your conductor on this underground railroad is Dan Newman. Do you realize that you're about to be forced to make a choice, a choice to just go all in for the truth or a choice to stand back on the sidelines and just watch what happens. They're forcing this. Who are they? I got to be honest with you. I don't know who all is in the group, but there is a significant put together, organized, structured group of power junkies not just here in the United States, but around the world. And they're dead set on getting things under their total control. Folks, it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's in your faces every day. It's time that we take the blinders off and that we begin to really look objectively at what we see happening every day around us, who the players are, why things are happening, why other things are not happening. I got to be honest with you. If you're prone to allow fear to overtake you in your thinking, you're about to have some major negative changes occur in your life because fear is about to just eat you up. There's plenty to be afraid of. But guess what? We know the end of the story. We know who wins in all of this. Let me tell you who wins. The creator of the world. The God in heaven. He's got it all together. He's always had it all together. And what's kind of spooky, if you get right down to it, if you read the book, talking about the 66 books of the Bible, if you read them, any of them, it doesn't matter. He talked through his people that penned the the Bible centuries ago, he talked about these very things again and again and again and told us what was going to happen, what was going to happen long-term good, what was going to happen long-term bad. And it's playing out on the world stage right now before our very eyes. Are you talking about this Armageddon thing from Revelations? No, folks, I'm not talking specifically about anything except a whole host of circumstances that have to have explanations for them happening. And when you start looking objectively into each one of these things and you begin to ask the W question, why? And that other W question, who? And that third W question, what? You begin to narrow the possibilities in your mind. And when you get to the end of that, we're nowhere near the end, believe me. But when we get to the end of it, that's the only time that you will be able to 100% for absolute be able to come up with the specific answer. So how, Dan, how can we live through all of this mystery, all these questions? I only know one way, folks. And it's a combination of two things. 
Number one, you trust God. I don't even need to tell you about that. You just have to make a commitment, make a decision, make a choice, and trust God. And number two, be objective when you're looking looking for the truth. Don't just grab a hold of the first thing that sounds good to you. And no matter what topic this is you're looking for to find truth, it doesn't make it doesn't make any difference. They're all in the same thing. You either find the truth or you accept something else. So trust God and find the truth. All I can tell you is I can encourage you as far as getting a hold of God. If you're having questions, there are people you can call. You know people in your community. You know people in your family. And if you get in a desperate situation and you need somebody, you need a name, you need a phone number, you need an email, drop us a line, dan at truthnewsnet.org, and we'll point you to some people that can really help you find some of these answers. Meanwhile, back here, here we are at TNN Live, and um, we can see the weekend, which in most cases is a really good thing because you get to take a long breath and just relax a little bit. Most of us can on the weekends. You may not be in that, that spot yet, but it's a great sense to have when you work hard, you push hard all week long, and you just get to relax a little bit on the weekend. We're just a couple of days away from that, thank goodness. But while we're getting there, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to unpack some things. And it's interesting on our quest for the truth, every day it seems like some new little tidbit of information of truth falls into our laps. We have a few of those today, and the first one comes from the White House. Oh my goodness, how could that possibly be happening, Dan? Well, you remember Joe Biden's first day as officially being our president, January 20th? Remember the first thing he did in the Oval Office was he canceled, he terminated the XL pipeline permit and basically stopped that entire operation. And it uh, needlessly killed thousands of union jobs. It made the price of all of our energy go up overnight. And they continue to climb. 600 people have been arrested because environmentalists still are after Line 3 oil sands pipeline in Minnesota. 600 people have been arrested at those protests. So why hasn't the Biden administration blocked construction of that pipeline 3 yet? He, he did the XL pipeline permit. He canceled it. Why hasn't he this one? Well, even though this project, the pipeline project, was approved during the Trump administration, the current White House has supported pipeline construction. So what's their justification? Because they killed the XL pipeline, right? Well, their justification is that the pipeline posed no notable environmental threat. But there's also another reason. The Line 3 pipeline has yet to become a household name like Keystone was. So that makes it easy for the White House to avoid the scrutiny on something not gaining national attention. Interesting. 
Biden and his appointees are also probably trying to avoid more negative media coverage because they just got blasted over the Keystone deal. And in addition to that, of course, they stopped federal oil and gas leases on federal land, which makes a huge difference as well. Over a thousand union workers were laid off instantly when he canceled that that pipeline overnight. The administration now starting to develop a a wishy-washy reputation on energy, which is, I guarantee, going to come back and bite them in 2022 and 2024. Yesterday, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan put out a statement demanding that the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, have you ever heard of that entity? You know you have, but never by that name. We call it OPEC. Sullivan, now he's the United States National Security Advisor. The U.S. doesn't, we're not in the OPEC. We don't have a vote in the OPEC. We don't have any power in OPEC. But Jake Sullivan, Biden's NSA National Security Advisor, he wrote a letter to OPEC telling them to increase their oil production amid rising gas prices around the world. Here's what Sully said. President Biden has made clear he wants Americans to have access to affordable and reliable energy, including at the pump. Although we are not a party to OPEC, the U.S. will always speak to international partners about issues of significance that affect our national economic and security affairs in public and in private. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, what doesn't make perfect sense is that the Biden administration now, isn't this ironic? They're having to beg the Middle East for oil. And they're doing this seven months after this president unilaterally tore up our first time in history, 100% we were producing all our own energy. We were energy independent beginning in October last year. Biden tore it all up. And now his national security advisor of all people is demanding that OPEC increase their oil production because us not having in the pipeline what we had when Joe was elected because of decisions he made the price is going up for Americans. So the pushback at that construction site of the Line 3 pipeline, it's evidence the White House is reaping what it sowed, and members of the Biden administration are making themselves look like hypocritical fools. I don't know about the fools part, but there is not a person in this administration from top to bottom that is not hypocritical about political issues. For them to take the stances that they do every day on anything, I don't care what political issue it is. It's hypocritical. It has very little to do with the truth and goodness and righteousness and right and wrong. It's all rooted. Every policy decision they make is rooted in a power quest, energy independence. Folks, we found out it's essential for us to remain the most powerful country in the world. Biden's flip-flopping on policy is crippling us. Canceling Keystone and keeping Line 3 alive and well is a de facto admission from Biden 
that it was all about politics. It has no basis whatsoever in what's good, what's right, what's best for the American people. And in doing what he did, here's the thing that this guy doesn't get. And a lot of people in politics don't get it. A lot of people in Congress don't get it. At that level, where they are, every decision that is made, it's going to daisy chain hundreds of levels deep as they ripple across America. None of their decisions exist in a vacuum. Every one of them affects millions of people. They either don't get it, they don't realize the importance of that, or they just don't give a dang. It could be all of the above. I don't know. But whatever it is, folks, this administration is doing it a hundred times worse than the previous administration in which Joe Biden served as vice president. Barack Obama, he's got to be standing up and applauding Joe Biden every day for the stupidity that is being demonstrated and the far, far left policies that are being implemented. And it's not going to get any better. (laughs) It's just not. They're doing exactly what they told us they were going to do. How in the heck this guy got elected president telling us during the campaign this is what he was going to do and that that was going to make good things happen? Folks, our economy is being ripped in shreds every day. Inflation. We don't even have a clue what the real inflation is. But yes, we're getting these little bitty spoon-fed tidbits out of our economist. And at the government level, they don't like to release any news that doesn't make this administration look good. Yesterday, they were touting, or day before, they were touting, ah, you know, wages are up a little bit, 5%. What they didn't say was yesterday, it was announced by the Labor Department, that 5% increase in blue-collar workers' paychecks has already all been ripped up by inflation. And we are just seeing the very beginning of inflation. I don't know where you live, what state you live. Gas prices are different from state to state because of state taxes. Gas is really expensive on the coast. Where I live, it's $2.70 a gallon. It was $1.65 a gallon the day Joe Biden was elected president, November 3rd last year. In my town, I will say that I'm going to make a prediction. By Christmas, in Louisiana, where we're paying $265, $270 now, we'll be paying over $3 a gallon. And that means in places like California, we'll be pushing $450. Does that not bother you? Do you understand that it didn't have to happen? That this administration is doing this on purpose. You know, who's making all that money? We've given you the numbers here about a gallon of gasoline, a barrel of oil, based upon little things like the cancellation of the XL pipeline. We tied it directly to what changes were made as a result of Biden doing that and what it means in dollars and cents. Do you know there is not just one entity, one sector of the economy 
that is making a lot more money today. It's a daisy chain up and down. It's people in the middle, people at the well sites. They're not making a whole lot more. But in between, folks, you know what happens, the layers in between? You go through bureaucracies. And the bureaucracies are multiple layers thick at the federal level and at the state level. Way, way, way before they get to the pump. And everybody's got to get a little bit of the action. And so they just pile on a layer, pile, pile. Do you have any idea how much the tax is? When you pump a gallon into your car where you live, do you know how much taxes you're paying per gallon? In some places, it's as close as 65 or 75 cents a gallon that you're paying on top of the real cost of that gas coming out of the ground. Guess who else is making a buttload full of money off the Biden administration on this? We hadn't bought any oil in months from Russia. And every month now, our purchase of oil from Russia, it started at $3 million a month. It went to 6 It went to 7 Every month it's going up. And everybody points to this day. Everybody that wears a Democrat hat, they point to Donald Trump. He's in bed with Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden. He took all of those restrictions off the construction company, the entity that was building the gas pipeline from Russia to Germany that Trump had put on. They had to stop the construction. When they did that, what it was doing is Western Europe was buying liquid natural gas from us. We were importing, exporting to them. They were importing from us a huge portion of their natural gas. And that was a good thing for us. It was a good thing for the people of Germany. I mean, you don't want to be forced into having to do business with Vladimir Putin because when he's got you by the short hairs, he knows it and he's going to take advantage of that. He always has. He always has. He's doing it everywhere they do business today. Joe Biden opened the door for Vladimir Putin to put billions more of world dollars in his pocket because Biden opened the spigot between that gas pipeline in Russia to Germany. And who loses there? We do. Who do you think's in Vlad's pocket? I don't have any personal knowledge, but folks, when it quacks and waddles, it's always a duck, and it's been quacking since Joe Biden was in the White House with Barack Obama. It quacks a lot. You ever question anything, follow the money. So what else is going on? Well, guess what happened on a national scale, a really big deal. You remember the name Ashley Babbitt? Ashley Babbitt was the lone person that was killed in the Capitol breach on January 6th. Wait a minute. I thought there were dozens of people. I thought there were five or six or seven or eight Capitol Hill cops that were killed. Nope. One person was killed. Ashley Babbitt. Killed by a Capitol Police when Ashley Babbitt had breached the Capitol she wasn't armed. She wasn't making any kind of overtones of violence whatsoever, none. 
And you can see it on video. A Capitol policeman crouched behind her and to her left side, pulled out his gun and shot her in the left side of the back of her neck. She bled out on the floor of the Capitol and she died. Trump was president then. Joe Biden's president now. The Biden administration, Joe Biden, nobody's reached out to Ashley Babbitt's family. Do you know that our federal government will not even release the name of the officer who shot and killed her? The cop who killed her, you can see it in the video, was African-American. Ashley Babbitt was white and a war veteran, a U.S. military vet. They won't even release the name of who killed her. They won't release any of the autopsy reports that were done, other than the fact that the Washington, D.C. coroner ruled it a homicide. So this guy, he's not facing any charges. The federal government's just wiping their hands of any responsibility for it. And basically, without saying it this way, they're saying she shouldn't have been there. If she hadn't been there, she wouldn't have got shot. That's right. Yep, if JFK hadn't been in Dallas, Texas, he wouldn't have gotten shot and killed either, right? So it's his fault. Well, yesterday, MSNBC anchor Nicole Wallace, what a peach she is. She said on her show, I don't even know if you know she had a show, and the show title's Deadline. First, I've heard about that title. She and every one of the other minions that work with her at MSNBC, they hate Donald Trump. They have blamed him as an insurrectionist for everything that happened on January 6th. Facts don't matter. It's all about emotion. It's all about political partisanship, and it's all about damning Donald Trump and everybody that supported him throughout his four years as president and in the 2020 election run-up. Donald Trump, met with Ashley Babbitt's husband. Oh my God, how could he dare do that? So, his doing that, now remember, this is the President of the United States when this happened. Her husband doesn't have a wife anymore, and it's because a member of the Donald Trump government of the USA, Capitol, Capitol Police, they work for the executive branch of the government, Technically, they work for the legislative branch, but nevertheless, it's on his watch. He reached out to her and met with her. Nicole Wallace went crazy. Wednesday, after the meeting with Babbitt, Trump put out a statement saying, Ashley's husband is heartbroken because she was murdered at the hand of someone who should never have pulled the trigger of his gun. And Trump said this, we know who it is. That's all he said. So based on that, listen to what Nicole Wallace said. On the ex-president's statement, I have been grappling with how to cover it without amplifying it. The ex-president met with the mother, Ashley Babbitt. I want to ask if you agree with Officer Hodges, who was one of the four Capitol Police officers who testified before the January 6th Select Committee investigating the insurrection, that the insurrectionists were domestic terrorists. 
Former Trump administration DHS official Miles Taylor said, yeah, in fact, I agree. Wallace said, can you fathom an example of a politician of another party meeting with the mother of a domestic terrorist? Now, she's talking about Ashley Babbitt. She just benignly referred to her as a, as a terrorist. And then she said, and the other party really just sort of shrugged it off. Where are we? I mean, where are we in our politics that the ex-president inciting violent extremism meets with the mother of, by your definition and by Officer Hodges, the mother of a terrorist, and everyone kind of shrugs it off? And Taylor said, you were there in the Bush years. Could you imagine that President Bush had met with either the widow or a mother of a jihadist that had killed American troops or was trying to kill American troops? It would have been an absolute political scandal of epic proportions. He added, it is the equivalent of going to meet with someone who was trying to attack our democracy ourselves. The mother of someone who was trying to attack democracy ourselves itself publicizing this issue. And Taylor concluded, what this does, it leads to radicalization of more people who could potentially pose a threat because it legitimizes that sort of civil disorder and conduct. Folks, I got to I got to be totally honest with you. I am a hardcore to the bone conservative, not a Republican, but I am a conservative and I believe first of all in the rule of law as it is laid out in the Constitution and in subsequent decisions of constitutional law that have come to the Supreme Court and either been confirmed or explained that they weren't good and they were changed. That's my fundamental United States perspective as a citizen. To listen to that develop, that conversation, I cannot in my wildest imagination fathom how this person who works for a national network, granted they've got horrible ratings, hers are some of the worst, and when I say horrible, folks, listen to this. This show you're listening to today, based upon its worldwide audience, some days we have almost as many people listening in, streaming, not broadcast or cable national television, but streaming online than she has in her show. But yet, because she works for a national network, and because her network and everybody that works there are linked to the Democrat Party, the power junkie party of the world, everything they say is gospel, or at least they and the people that are all in for MSNBC and CNN and ABC, NBC, and CBS News, that's the way people think. So what did you hear in this conversation that really set you on edge? First of all, our government has a definition of terrorism. And nothing that Ashley Babbitt did ties even remotely to terrorism. And so... This sycophant and this guy from the Trump administration that found a microphone, Miles Taylor, they just decided to collude and change, blow away, forget about the definition, the government definition of terrorism, 
and they labeled Ashley Babbitt a terrorist, a domestic terrorist. And so whatever happened to her, it doesn't matter. She got shot in the back of the net. She was unarmed. First of all, most terrorists, when they do what they do, they've got weapons of some sort. She had nothing. She wasn't and hadn't made any attempt to hurt anybody. And she gets shot in the back of the neck, and that gives the... I don't care why she was there. What I care about is what she was doing and not doing. And what a cop did, the first rule, if you work on any police force anywhere in America about your gun... You never draw your gun, uh, your gun unless you or others in your immediate purview are in imminent danger. The cop wasn't in imminent danger. Nobody there had any guns. Nobody there had any weapons. He pulled his gun. The second thing is you never point a gun at somebody unless you intend to shoot them. You don't point it at people to try to scare them. You point a gun when you are in imminent danger and you think you may have to shoot them to take care of yourself or others that are with you. All of that was thrown out the window. And, it, and, and the fact that that, and even have, even have a guy that's in the government, that part of it, Miles Taylor talking to her on air, Folks, this just proves where we are today, it stinks in politics. The ruling party, the ruling party has totally turned their back on everything in governing except one thing. Whatever we say is the truth. And if you disagree with us, you deserve to die because you are considered by them, just like Ashley Babbitt, to be domestic terrorist. Now, this doesn't sit out there on the top of the hill. This is in the valley and at every point from the top to the bottom, folks. It's being adopted as a justifiable mindset simply because we're the party in power, and this is the way we feel, and it goes through. Criminal law, think about that for 30 seconds, criminal law. They called Ashley Babbitt a domestic terrorist. What about the real terrorist? What about Antifa? What about the shooting and killing and the burning? What about the guy, the Black Lives Matter guy, that was sentenced to nine years in jail for burning down buildings in Minneapolis. And he did it when he was armed. What about the police shootings? What about the people that are attacking cops on the streets? They come to these demonstrations with knapsacks and they have explosives in their knapsacks and they carry clubs and some of them carry guns. Those are okay. Miss MSNBC never said anything negative about any of that. That's just civil disobedience. What Ashley Babbitt and others did, just because they weren't falling in line 
with the Democrat Party mantra, they're domestic terrorists. And by her definition, folks, I believe a bunch of you listening right now are considered to be domestic terrorists. Wow. It even carries over into other areas. We'll talk about that next. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque. And experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. The stages may be bare, but the show goes on. With the iHeartRadio Broadway Saturday Matinee. Every week, we play an entire cast album and give you behind-the-scenes stories from the show's stars. This Saturday, Moulin Rouge. Welcome to the Moulin Rouge! This is Danny Burstein from Moulin Rouge the Musical, and you're listening to iHeartRadio Broadway. The iHeartRadio Broadway Saturday Matinee. Today at 2 at iHeartRadioBroadway.com. Driven by Mercedes AMG Driving Performance. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore. Well, that just wouldn't be fair. Yeah, but we're looking for other people that think similarly about things like this, about the rule of law, about being a part of, a member of a representative republic country. That's what we were supposed to be. That's what we were founded to be. And we're not, right now today, folks, we're not in that particular spot. Now, there's something kind of, I think, silly in some way, but sinister in another way that uh, is, uh, is going on or in process of going on. President Biden is having a big summit. Yep, he is having a big summit coming up. Um, I think it's in December. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, it's coming up in December that the White House announced yesterday that he was going to have this summit. He's going to rally together democracies against authoritarianism. Joe Biden. President of the United States, the guy that on his first week in office, he threw out the rule of law, that constitutional thing, you know, where there are three co-equal branches of government, legislative, judiciary, and executive. He threw that out the door. He bypassed Congress, and he just started governing and putting out 
edicts that everybody has to abide by, this guy wants to convene and is convening a summit to rally democracies against authoritarianism. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know what authoritarianism is? I think you, you have an idea, but let me break it down for you. Authoritarianism is a principle of blind submission to authority as opposed to individual freedom of thought and action. In government, what it means, authoritarianism denotes any political system that concentrates power in the hands of a leader or a small elite body of leaders. Authoritarian leaders often exercise power arbitrarily and without regard to law. The freedom to create opposition political parties or other alternative political groupings with which to compete for power with the grueling group is either limited or is non-existent in authoritarian regimes. That was written as a definition of authoritarianism 15 years ago. And let me tell you what it denotes right now. The Biden administration, the United States Congress, the Democrat Party, consumed with lust for power. And he's going to have this summit? This is unbelievable. Around the world, this is looked at as a response to um, Xi Jinping, China's whatever he is, dictator, president, ruler. Xi Jinping in his speeches, is he's vowed to see that the ruling totalitarian party in China shapes mankind's common future by promoting, his words now, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Taiwan used to be Formosa. Taiwan is an independent, self-rule, liberal, democratic island that the Chinese regime wants to claim as part of its territory. And they have, when they heard about the the Biden summit in December, they want to join in. The White House announced his plans to bolster support for democracy on Wednesday, and this first summit will be a virtual meeting to take place on December 9th and 10th. And they say it's going to galvanize commitments and initiatives across three principal themes. Defending against authoritarianism, fighting corruption, and promoting respect for human rights. I went bonkers when I heard this was the reason for this summit and the objective was to stamp out and block authoritarianism when Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat Party, they put us all, all 330 million of them, on board the authoritarianism train. That's where we're headed now. How do you get there? You take control of everything. You forget about human rights, which they are. They are. They're picking and choosing who is going to do good, who is going to do bad, and who they choose has nothing to do with the American ideal (laughs) or being a member of a representative republic. 
Basically, folks, they're putting ideas, plans together at the top, and they don't give a rip what the American people think. It begins with the concept that it very deftly and quietly took over Washington, D.C. in the late 60s and early 70s, where they just kept building and growing and feeding the giant that controls the swamp of D.C. And who is that giant? It's the United States federal government and everybody in it. You saw it. It was exposed during the Trump administration every day. We found out the Department of Justice is nothing but a cluster of demonic folks that are ceding to the power of this monster and helping feed it, protecting it, lashing out at anybody that doesn't agree with whatever this monster says is right and whatever is wrong. They've even redefined the rule of law. It doesn't any longer mean that you're innocent until proven guilty and everybody has equal rights under the law. They threw that out the door. Example, James Comey, FBI director, sitting at the top of the heap of the Department of Justice. He broke numerous federal laws, laws that the penalties were supposed to be imprisonment. He gave away all kinds of classified information. Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama colluded on a daily, during her tenure as Secretary of State, daily felony law-breaking. How'd they do that? That server that she put in her home? It was illegal for it to be there and be used the way it was. It was not secure. And the government has demands and has a process that anybody that works in the government has to comply with, which requires people in the Department of Justice to come set those kind of systems up to make sure they're secure and they're being used properly. It was never secured. And Barack Obama as president, he used a Gmail pseudo email and almost daily sent and received emails from Hillary Clinton on an unsecure server that James Comey's FBI discovered in their investigation about the Russia collusion, they discovered that emails from that server, every email was being uploaded to a server somewhere outside of the United States. Every one of those individual emails, folks, is a violation of federal law. Each one of them is a felony. Nobody was ever even charged or investigated for that. How do, you, how do you justify that? If you're an authoritarian government, it doesn't matter if you're part of the ruling class. So how do the American people feel about this? i got to be honest with you. I'm beginning to wonder if what the American people think about anything in our government is meaningful or makes any difference. The news is out that the Americans are catching on to Joe Biden. Americans are beginning now to see what Democrats, along with television networks like CNN and MSNBC, so successfully have hidden from them during last year's presidential campaign. Joe wasn't on the campaign. 
He hardly ever went out and spoke to anybody, never answered any questions. Voters today are discovering that they elected a shell of a president, a frequently addled old man. And I'm not diminishing that at all. I may not be addled, and I'm not Joe's age, but I'm closer to his age than I am to many of you. But this guy, without conviction or force whatsoever, whose every campaign promise was entirely bogus. There may not have been widespread voter fraud in 2020. There may not have. But that doesn't mean a horrendous fraud was not perpetrated on American voters. The most worrisome thing today for this president, people are even souring now on the character issues. Joe's character issues that his campaign touted. Things like little things, meaning meaningless in most cases, like honesty and giving a rip. Most worrisome today for Democrats, they themselves can't rely on the president to carry them to a victory in 2022. He can't go out and campaign, folks. He can't go campaign for people. When he did go campaign during the presidential election, nobody went to hear him. So it's no wonder they're trying to jam through their progressive wish list that massive $3.5 trillion budget package with no Republican votes. They know it's their only chance. There's a new poll that came out yesterday. I wondered when this was going to happen. Some kind of startling numbers came out of it. Maybe you'll think they're startling, maybe not. Like 39% of those who were polled think Joe Biden says what he believes, while 44% think he says what people want to hear. 38% are confident in Joe Biden's ability to deal wisely with an international crisis, where half are uneasy about his capability there. 41% think Joe Biden is honest and trustworthy. 45, not so much. The nation is split on whether Biden actually cares about people like them. Only 21% think Biden can bring the country together. 53% don't trust him to do that. 51% think Biden is liberal or very liberal. Only 27 think he is moderate, which he's always been known as part of, maybe the leader of, the moderate part of the Democrat Party. Now, folks, everybody sees it. We've been saying it while he was even campaigning. He's not a moderate. To get elected and to govern, he's going to have to turn hard left and embrace those policies of the far left. That's exactly what he's done. Now, keep this in mind. This all came from 2,000 Americans And this poll was conducted between July 24th and 27th. Those were the days, folks, before the chaos that has since erupted over this Delta variant. So it's probably even worse now. The White House's inability to give the nation straight answers about that quote-unquote new strain of COVID-19 and that rising number of breakthrough cases. Who came up with that name? 
If you're vaccinated and you get COVID, they're calling that breakthrough. I call it failure. They told us for months while we were waiting on the vaccine, you take the vaccine, you won't get COVID. And now, folks, in the last three weeks, hidden in some numbers, but on the CDC website, more people that have died from COVID. Listen closely. More people who have died with an official cause of death, COVID-19. More people that have been vaccinated have died than people who have not been vaccinated and died. A story came out yesterday that I that I had to track down. I couldn't believe it. The FDA is about to say it's okay for pregnant women to take a vaccination. For pregnant women to take a vaccination. So I reached out to our expert, our pharmacist expert, to get some numbers. And in just a moment, I'm going to pass those along to you, but I just wanted to mention the insanity, you think about it, of trying, even considering, with all of the, we know, adverse effects that have happened from for people that get vaccines, these vaccines, to encourage a pregnant woman to go ahead and get the COVID-9 vaccination. So, after Biden had been in office for about five months, a honeymoon kind of period, and mostly smooth sledding, the Biden administration now, they're in a rough patch. The economy, which exploded out of the gate last year, Inflation's taking over, higher prices, fewer jobs than expected. Uh, Corporations and businesses are screaming for workers. The government's paying them extra money in many cases, so much so it's not worth their while to go back to work. So they're staying out of work. Unemployment's down a little bit, but it's because these people are no longer on the unemployment rolls. The Biden administration created an artificial shortage of workers And they did that by paying people more to stay at home than to go to work. Big businesses, little businesses, they're having to pay up even more than they paid before to hire staff and are passing those costs along and increased prices. Though the Biden administration denies it, it's freaking inflation. Private industry employees' pay rose 3.1% in just the second quarter. That's the most since 2008. It's good news for workers, except what we told you earlier about the inflation number. (laughs) Pay's gone up 3.1%. Inflation's gone up more than 5%, so you're upside down. That's probably, the concern about inflation is probably why in the economist poll respondents, those people are split on how Biden is doing on the economy. 44% approved, 43% disapproved. In an April survey in comparison, Biden was up to 47% and only 39% disapproved. So he's losing footing very quickly. Border crisis. Over a million people entered the country illegally since last September. It's causing the Joe White House a bunch of problems, and it should be. Only 35% of Americans approve of his approach to immigration Half the country, you're doing a bad job, Joe. And we could go on and on with these numbers. Just basically, let's just say this. 
things aren't looking good. And of course, he, he's always been as a uh, moderate Democrat, he's always painted himself to be for the common man. (laughs) On his watch, more jobs have been destroyed in just eight months. More jobs, big, good-paying jobs. Those XL pipeline jobs that he canceled on day one in the White House, many of those jobs were union jobs, blue-collar workers, right? And they were six-figure jobs, a hundred thousand dollars a year or more gone with the stroke of a pen even he and his administration very quietly have began to admit we maybe should have thought that through before we did that yeah that would have been a good idea for all those people you put out of work joe but you know when they say oh we're gonna we're gonna make people up top the the evil people the wealthiest people in the Nation, We're going to make them pay out the wazoo. Meanwhile, tech giant Amazon, Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest man on earth, well, they got awarded a very secret cloud computing contract from the National Security Administration, and it's worth a little bit, $10 billion. $10 billion contract for Jeff Bezos. Now, let me ask you this. I don't care what it is in the tech sector, which is is a a cloud computing contract. There are a lot of smaller companies in existence. You know, those entrepreneurial type companies that could probably do a piece of that. I wonder why Bezos got that. You think it may have had, I'm just asking, you think it may have had something to do with the fact that not only is he one of one of the most, if for those that turn in their numbers, which I, I know factually there are a bunch of real wealthy people around the world that don't give their numbers to Forbes magazine to publish their top 100 of the wealthiest people every year. But there are a bunch of other wealthy people. But here's Jeff Bezos, and he happens to be a hardcore in the tank Democrat that gives all kind of money to Democrat candidates and causes. I wonder why... Uh, Amazon got that contract over whoever else was in the running for it. Don't know. Just asking a question. You know, there's a bunch of stuff going on with COVID-19. We spent almost the entire show yesterday dealing with COVID-19 issues. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into it, but we're going to be short on the COVID stuff and give you the important stuff. We're also going to check in with our expert on um, what's going on regarding deaths primarily based on vaccinations and the numbers there and some other information. Plus, there's some stuff from around the world. It's going to blow your mind, folks. You have no idea. We have no idea how bad it is. It's bad enough here, but it's even worse in some other places. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. 
We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten ten ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember ten ten ten. For ten days, sign up for ten dollars and pay just ten bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. For the health and safety of our guests and team members, we're here for you. That means frequently deep cleaning our stores and wiping down carts and baskets after each use. Reserving dedicated shopping hours for our most vulnerable guests. Providing masks and gloves to our team members. And offering contactless shopping options through the Target app, like drive-up and same-day delivery. We are here for you now more than ever, and your health and safety is our highest priority. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view. Oh, just what I need, a little soothing music. <laughs> I um, I get a little heated from time to time. I get asked, you know, how's your blood pressure, Dan? You get a little into everything you talk about on TNN Live. Yeah, I do. And um, I think I'm not alone in getting a little bit concerned about all the things that are going on right now. I believe there's a huge chunk of our nation, a bigger chunk than even are being talked about, that are getting closer and closer and closer to be just like Rand Paul. Basically, I don't know if you saw or heard, but I mean, he went public nationally, probably internationally, saying, look, we got to join forces. We have to stand up. He said, quote, they can't put us all in jail. Resistance to all of this stuff. I mean, he's a member of the United States Senate, the upper house. You know, the ones that are really supposed to be the second layer in charge in our government. And he's saying that. There are a lot of Americans that feel that way, but we haven't got to the point yet, the tipping point, where we're just going to bite off that. But as it gets worse and worse, as quickly as it's getting, folks, I think we may not be too far from somebody just saying, bang, and that doesn't mean bullet. I meant bang, I've had enough, and just begins to look for ways to take hard, definitive actions against this egregious authoritarian rule by a guy who's putting together a summit to try to tell everybody how to stop authoritarian rule. I can tell you what Joe Biden's definition of authoritarianism is. It's somebody who disagrees with him. Why would he think he was the guy that should be calling a summit to discuss how to stop authoritarian rule? Just saying, just thinking. So there there are so many more Americans than there have been that are beginning to believe this COVID-19 thing is really not what it's being portrayed nationally to be. I'll just touch on a couple of things. You hear this over and over and over again on all of the left stream news media outlets, including some of the middle of the road ones, kind of like Fox News and Newsmax. 
Infections are going through the roof in number. Delta variant, it's out there. It's destroying especially the states of Florida and Texas. Why is that? Both Democrat governors have come out against mandatory vaccines and the mandatory wearing of masks. So yesterday, if you weren't on the show, I told you about our son, who's an executive at a big hospital in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. They have three hospitals in the Metroplex area. All of them together, they've got well over 1,000 beds, probably close to 2,000 beds. Pretty big hospital system. And it just so happens those three together, when the pandemic was at its height, those were the facilities that the EMS folks transporting COVID serious patients to hospitals, they took them there. That was their specialty. So we've heard about, you know, the horrors in Houston and South Texas and ICUs and hospital emergency rooms being flooded. They have no rooms. They can't get nurses, yada, 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 yada. And so that automatically transferred to every part of Texas, right? Florida, pretty much the same kind of thing. And so you begin to dig into the facts Those three hospitals in the Metroplex, Dallas-Fort Worth, combined they had less than 40 COVID cases. They had no ICU cases. This is as of yesterday morning, official numbers. So what's going on there? What's going on in Florida? Well, Ron DeSantis, every day, the governor, he comes out with something, and he's not going to allow the bureaucrats, the authoritarian leaders in our nation shoved down his throat all of these egregious totalitarian policies and restrictions there without legal process. They're just shoving it down the throats of Floridians on his watch. He's not going to have it. So he put out an executive order a couple of weeks ago about mask mandates. And he said in preparation for kids going back to school this fall, They are not, the state is not going to allow any institution, any school system, public school system, to mandate masks be worn by children. That is going to be left up to the parents of these kids. And so there are a couple of school systems, especially in South Florida, that have come back and said, ah, here's our middle finger. We're not going to let the governor tell us what to do. So yesterday, Ron DeSantis addressed that. Governor Ron DeSantis mentioned two Florida counties failing to abide by his executive order at today's news conference held at an elementary school in St. Petersburg. Those counties are Alachua and Leon. The governor fielded a question about the White House looking for ways to pay superintendents or school board members who defy the governor's ban on mask mandates. So uh, our view is, of course, that, that we believe this is a decision for the parent. Uh, to make, just given the the uncertainty about what it means, particularly for a lot of the young kids to, to be in that. And um, I think that's where the vast majority uh, of the districts, I know we have, I think, two um, who, who are not uh, providing uh, the, the parents with the rights, but, but obviously we believe 
that the parent rather than the government should ultimately be able to make that decision. The governor was joined by Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran at today's events. This week, Corcoran sent a letter to two counties, Alachua and Leon, after both went against the governor's executive order preventing districts from imposing mask mandates. The letter read in part, quote, depending on the facts presented, I may recommend to the State Board of Education that the department withhold funds in an amount equal to the salaries for the superintendent and all the members of the school board. While at the news conference, the governor was also asked if the state will be keeping track of COVID cases in schools and making that data available. I have to ask the Department of Health in terms of are they going to do school-based now, in the last several days, there's been a back and forth between Governor Ron DeSantis and the Biden administration. Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki saying that they are not waging a war with Governor DeSantis, but rather the virus. I don't think they want to get into a one-on-one war with Governor DeSantis. Um, there's a huge, big, much bigger segment of the American population that agree with Ron DeSantis's view than do the Biden administration. Now, let me tell you the the number, the big number that's missing in all of this misinformation that we're getting from the media. Every day, all day long, you hear whatever way they say it, but basically what they, the news media, are saying in print, on radio, and in television is this. COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing. Far more cases than we ever had. I saw a story this morning, 110,000 COVID cases diagnosed in the United States yesterday. That's not the number that should concern you. The number that should concern you is how many people are dying. A very little publicized fact. The gods of COVID, you know, those are the people that work for Dr. Fauci, Centers for Disease Control, National Institutes of Health. They're a government agency. You own them. You as a taxpayer, they're they're your employees, basically. So they put out on that massive website the CDC has, they put out all kinds of graphs and numbers and statistics every day. But they do little summary pages And on the summary pages, very seldom do they put the statistical facts that would in some way make a decision that was implemented by the CDC would make it look like it wasn't a good idea. What's the missing number you're talking about, Dan? They don't tell us how many people died. Let me give you the official fact. Deaths at the hand of COVID-19 are still going down. While these 100,000 confirmed cases and the numbers are rising, now that's not, the numbers they give us about the cases, that's not the hospitalizations or the ICU beds. And let me tell you what that means in Florida. There are a bunch of hospitals around the state of Florida, big hospitals, that can't get enough nurses. A lot of it has to do with the federal unemployment money that's out there. There are a lot of nurses that get overworked. They're stressed. They're dealing with life and death every day. And they got tired. They got beat up during the pandemic. A bunch of them, hospitals closed down in some cases. 
And now there are a bunch of hospitals that because they can't get nurses by law, they have to close floors of the hospital or segments in the hospitals. You got to have nurses. You got to have staffing to be able to treat these people. And so I, I looked at the numbers at one big hospital in Jacksonville. They had to close half the hospital beds because they had no nurse staffing. Well, then, of course, the demand stays the same. And what does it look like? Oh, we, you know, our rooms are all full. Uh, our ICU is over flooded. Well, it's not. It's not, folks. They've reduced the bed count. And so when you look at the percentages that the national media are reporting, it's a percentage of the available beds, not of the capacity of the hospital. That's happening in all 50 states right now. CDC's not reporting on that, but the big, big, big number, the important number is being left out of all these conversations. And that's how many people are dying every day of COVID-19. They used to beat us up with that every day, didn't they? They're not even mentioning it anymore. You're not seeing it in any newspaper published article. Louisiana, I mean, folks, Southeast Louisiana has been blasted over the last month. Tons of infections, COVID infections. And most of it, Most of it, folks, is breakthrough infections. People that have been vaccinated, testing positive. Two things there. Number one, the Delta variant, as it turns out, regardless of what the media are telling you, it's not, it's not, it's not as egregious as they say it is. It's not as deadly as they say it is. That's number one. Number two is, breakthrough vaccinations. Now, this is not for the whole state of Louisiana. It's for the area in southeast Louisiana, principally Baton Rouge, south and east from there, to New Orleans and east of New Orleans. That also happens to be the massively higher population vaccinated part of the state. And those people are having breakthrough infections. What's that all about? Let's go back to Florida for a second. If you think they're, or you're questioning the stuff that you're hearing about this hospital occupation, uh, not occupation, occupancy thing of patients, you think there's something going on there and you can't quite put your finger on it. Yesterday, I got this from Broward County down in Florida from a nurse, from a nurse and something she was told yesterday by her voice and Brow- uh, by her boss in Broward County. Turn your volume up. Make sure you listen to what she said, every word. I work for a large hospital system in Broward County, Florida, on the anesthesia team. Last night, the house nurse manager came to my department and told us that we must prepare for a COVID crisis that's going to start next week. And they're going, the hospital will be taking part of our recovery unit, anesthesia recovery unit, to house COVID patients. And that we should, 
that we cannot allow surgical patients' families to come visit them, which we do pre and post surgery, pre and post anesthesia. And I looked at her and I said, how do you know we're going you're going to need our our rooms, our bays? And how do you know there's going to be a crisis next week? She tilted down her glasses. She looked at me. And she said, you know what's going on by now. And I said, yeah, I do. And everyone else just went, oh, here we go again, and shrugged their shoulders. Does anyone else find this really strange besides me? It's about time that this whole corrupted, stinking system is brought down. Seriously. Because I'm really hating my job right now. I can't stand this corruption anymore. That is a nurse, an anesthesia nurse, Broward County in a big hospital system. And similar things have happened before that are happening and they're preparing. They're not preparing for a what if. Her boss told her, we're going to have a COVID crisis next week. We need all your hospital beds and the anesthesia ward. I wonder what's up there. Obviously, the heat's turned up on the Republican government of the states of Florida and in Texas and other red states that are led by red governors. The great divide between the concepts of either party. One wants to clamp down on us all, seize more power, tell us more what has to be done and what can't be done. Now let's circle back. I'm not going Jen Psaki style. I'm just circling back to what I mentioned before our last break about our specialist with numbers on all of the adverse effects of um, COVID-19 vaccinations, including deaths and some of the other information. And we got the latest numbers, and I was looking specifically for one section. Based upon what the FDA is and the CDC are now recommending that Pregnant women go ahead and get vaccinated for COVID-19, one of the three vaccines. And I thought, I remember seeing some pretty dire numbers about miscarriages in people that had just recently been vaccinated. Since we began giving vaccines around the first of the year, there have been 1,381 miscarriages. This is from people who were vaccinated, and it was within a few hours, no longer than 48 hours after receiving a vaccination. 1,381. Oh, by the way, 5,236 heart attacks. People have died of heart attacks shortly after getting a vaccination. Cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 3,728 of those. Permanently disabled, 14,251. Permanently disabled, folks, 14,251. You're going to hear from one of those in just a moment. Thrombocytopenia, big-time heart problems, 2,200. 
and 69. I'll give you the, just those little numbers again. 1,381 miscarriages, 5,236 heart attacks, 3,728 myocarditis and pericarditis cases, 14,251 permanently disabled, 2,269. A lot of folks and around 14,000 have died. Those are the reported numbers. There are, are much greater numbers out there in actuality. These are just the ones that have been reported. And this specialist, this pharmacy specialist, I got a note overnight that said they have a close friend from church who passed away last week from COVID. It was a man. He was a healthy 60-year-old, and he was fully vaccinated. Oh, yeah, sometimes bad things happen to good people. You know, it's one of those things, Dan. Nobody knows for sure. He probably had comorbidity. Nope, he wasn't. He was healthy. And that's what happened to him. So is it any wonder why there are so many Americans that are, I don't want to call them anti-vaxxers. They've taken that and made it as a weapon. Anti-vaxxers, people that don't believe the truth, they say. Do you have any wonder? There was a guy in Illinois yesterday. It was in court. And he got arrested for possession of fentanyl. And the judge actually, here's what the judge did. He was he either pled or he was convicted of possession. And I think he had enough that distribution would have been a part of it. But the judge told him, you either take a vaccination or I'm putting you in prison. And the guy looked at the judge and said, you mean (laughs) that's my choice? If I refuse to be vaccinated, one of the COVID vaccines, that means I'm going to go to jail? And he said, no, you're going to go to jail because you were guilty of having this fentanyl in in your possession. And the guy said, I'm not going to take the vaccination. And the judge said, you're going to jail. Is there any wonder in all of this stuff that you're hearing that more and more people are asking the question, I don't, I don't know about this vaccine thing. There are too many negative things that I've, that I've seen. And so at the white house press briefings every day, members of the media are asking Jen Psaki questions about the anti-vax movement and what the white house is doing about it and who is to be at fault for this growing groundswell of people that don't want to be vaccinated. Listen to this report. There's a huge anti-vax movement in the United States. Many Americans are simply refusing to get vaccinated for COVID-19. So we figured it wouldn't be too long before the White House started pointing at the usual suspects. Russia and China have promoted their own vaccines through messaging that undermines Western origin vaccine development programs. So, uh, you know, that is more than just competition about vaccines. The risk and impact there is that this type of information magnifies, uh, you know, the risk of potential side effects associated with Western vaccines. This is what what, what the information, some of this misinformation is 
doing. It seems like what the White House spokesperson is saying is that reporting on the findings of U.S. federal agencies is somehow disinformation because it was the U.S. Food and Drug Administration that came forward and recently warned about the Johnson & Johnson single-dose COVID-19 vaccine and the fact that it could actually cause Guillain-Barr syndrome, which is an autoimmune disorder that attacks the nerves and could result in paralysis. Now, these cases have been rare, but this is according to the Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. federal government agency. Now, it was officials in Denmark who recently suspended the use of the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca vaccines, citing possible harmful effects. But apparently that's disinformation, even though it came from the Danish Ministry of Health. Uh, it's also worth noting that on this accusation of competition, the main reason that people traveled to Russia to get the vaccine was simply because they didn't want to wait for months to be vaccinated. Now, when it comes to damaging information about the vaccines, the White House has certainly made quite a few gaffes themselves. Take a listen. We are quite focused on communicating directly with those people, hence our special guest today, uh, about why it's important to get vaccinated, why these vaccines are safe, why uh, they can still kill you, even if you are under the age of 27. We need to be clear and direct about our messaging. I guess that's what the Biden administration considers to be direct messaging. Well, multiple cases of severe side effects have been reported, you'll know, from COVID uh, vaccines. One such example is Angelia DeSell's case, which first came to global attention after she received the Pfizer job. Angelia's son shared the videos on Facebook showing his mother shaking violently in hospital post-vaccination. He said she suffered severe convulsions soon after getting the shot in Louisiana. Speaking to RT, Angelia said she had no prior significant health issues and claims the U.S. government is turning a blind eye to people like her. Had I known that I would have lost the use of my legs and would have been paralyzed, I never would have taken it. There was never the no informed consent whatsoever about the side effects that I have had. There is definitely not enough of awareness about, hey, this could happen to you. Those full body convulsions, tremors, brain fog has stayed with me. I'm six and a half months out now. I still have not recovered. If I do not take the ivermectin daily, my symptoms come right back. We are completely brushed aside, um, and I think that's only because our government is trying to get to herd immunity, and they're not going to address us or acknowledge us until they reach their goal of vaccinations. Of course, if you don't want a vaccination, you're an evil person. That's what they have made it appear to be now. They're not content to just let people in America or any other places around the world draw their own opinions. Remember this, folks. Our Declaration of Independence made it very clear what this government was established to be. It was established to be government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It was not supposed to be ever a government that told the people and commanded the people and ruled the people about everything they are to do. The flip-flop of that 
is authoritarianism, and that's what we find ourselves living in. And so there are people that really take everything to the extreme. I mean, conservatives are always pointed out as being extremists. I mean, Ashley Babbitt was deemed to be a domestic terrorist, the story we carried and the soundbite we carried earlier, and she was nothing like a domestic terrorist. But if they paint it that way, we're just supposed to sit down and shut up. And, of course, there's one great spokesperson in the world that has this mandatory vax thing put all together and has a great way of explaining who the people are that are refusing and why those people are refusing the vaccine. Who might that person be? How about the former California Governor Arnold? But I think people should know there is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and kind of responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people, that is when it gets serious. It's like no different than a traffic light. We put a traffic light at the intersection so someone doesn't kill someone else by accident. So this is why we have a traffic light. You cannot say, no one is going to tell me that I'm going to stop here, that I have to stop at this traffic light here. I'm going to go right through it. Yeah, then you kill someone else, and then it is you doing. So this is the same thing with the virus. You cannot go and not put a mask on because when you breathe, you can infect someone else, and you can infect someone that then gets sick and may die. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, a bodybuilder. Yeah, that's what he is. That's what he was. Yeah, he was governor for a couple of terms. I don't know if he was a good governor. I didn't live in California at the time. I do know that his messaging is one of uh, impudence, and it's a one of uh, authoritarianism, demeaning of people, demeaning the rights of Americans to determine what's best for them, their health, and the health of their family and friends. And it's not the prerogative of the government, never has been, it shouldn't be now, although they feel like it is, and the party in power is ramming that down everybody's throat. We've only seen the beginning of what this authoritarianism is going to look like, folks. I guarantee you by the first of the year, there will be people in the streets in civil disobedience in big, 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 big numbers against this arbitrary, partisan, political thuggery that's being perpetrated by the left. When I was listening to Arnold there, I, uh, I had this strange thought. He's supposed to be a really intelligent guy. Never met him, don't know a whole lot about him other than, uh, you know, his his public career. But you know what? I know a lot of people from Germany. I know, I know through my life I've known, I've done business with. Um, I have an attorney that lives in Switzerland that speaks five languages, and her primary language is German. And when she speaks English... She doesn't have hardly any of an accent. She speaks French, Italian, let's see, German, 
French, Italian, English, uh, what other, uh, Swedish. Five different languages. When she, Again, she is primarily German. Her family is German. Compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger, she has absolutely no accent. He's been in America for, oh, I don't know, five, maybe six decades. You would think he would have uh, assimilated a little more into the way we talk, because he still sounds like a... Yavol Hitler kind of guy. <laughs> I'm not demeaning him, but I, that was just something that popped to mind. Hey, we have some other information that's going to be very interesting. And it's not all COVID. It's not, I promise. But there are a couple of other things we need to we need to bring you up on in just a moment. Back after this. A politician's worst nightmare? The truth. And you're getting it here with Dan Newman on TNN. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm -mm. How about China? Mm. Germany? Mm. How about people from the North Pole? Mm. Or Mars? (laughs) What about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm-hmm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Mm-hmm. Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. See and hear it first at truthnewsnet.org. Yeah, we kind of stay on top of things. It's amazing what you can find out if you just do some research. Now, we stick our noses out there pretty regularly and spend a lot of time in it. Fortunately for our cause here, I'm a, a truth junkie. And so I'm always looking around with my eyes open. And folks, the things that we look at, the things that we examine, the research that we do, I got to tell you, you're probably only hearing about less than 2 or 3% of it because there is so much out there that is absolutely untrue. And it's presented almost exclusively. It's all presented as facts. And it's sad to say in the greatest country on earth, that we live in a news environment in which 90, probably 90 plus percent of it is false. And it's all presented as facts. You've heard all day long. If you've watched any news the last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months from the news media, you have heard these vaccinations are going to save the world. It's not happening. And it's not getting any better. A brand new study found two key COVID-19 vaccines here in the U.S. Their effectiveness at fighting COVID is weakening and dramatically. The study of these 
was conducted by a Massachusetts-based data analytics company, released it a couple of days ago, shows the efficacy of Moderna's vaccine dropped from 86% in January this year when they all began to be pumped out. It's now 76%. Meanwhile, the Pfizer vaccine declined at a sharper rate from 76% to now 42%. The results were revealed very quietly after Inference, that's the name of this uh, company that did this analysis, they sought to find one vaccine that may be superior against the Delta variant. The researchers compared the effectiveness of Moderna, the Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and they used more than 50,000 patients in the Mayo Clinic Health System. According to their findings, all COVID-19 vaccines being administered have shown to dramatically reduce the risk of infection, severe disease, and death, but Moderna's vaccine may provide more protection than Pfizer's when it comes to the Delta variant. However, their efficacy began to decline last month. Now, why is that? There are all kinds of suppositions out in the marketplace. Here's the one that was brought to my attention by Dr. Peter McCulloch, one of the experts of all things related to medicine today. He's been around for decades. He's known as the number one cardiovascular surgeon on the planet, but his second specialty is infectious diseases. And here's what he said, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but basically it was this. We have 100 million plus Americans that have been vaccinated for COVID. Now, included in a vaccine, any vaccine, are little elements of the disease, the virus or the bacteria the vaccine is going to attack. And that's purposeful. Why? When they give a little bit of a virus or bacteria in a vaccine, they put it in our bodies. Our bodies began, because of our natural immune system, to create antibodies against that bacteria or that virus. And so what Dr. McCulloch was referencing is we have 100 plus million people out there that have been vaccinated. They're walking around in their worlds and they've got the virus inside of them. So what happens when the virus is inside of us and we come in contact with other people, they're exposed. So you have that many more people out there that are exposing other people. The second thing, all of these positive tests for COVID-19 that are coming out, the PCR test has been totally debunked by the FDA and the CDC, and they are ending it, its use in December of this year. I don't know why they waited till December. I think I do. They don't have anything to replace it. But you know the reason why they're ditching it is because of massive numbers of false positive test results. Testing for COVID, testing people positive, and the people not having COVID-19. And so now we know Moderna's is declining its effectiveness, as is the Pfizer, J&J, They still haven't completed that test, so we don't have the numbers there. And all of this is happening in different different landscapes around the world. Everything's not exactly the same in Europe and Asia as it is here. We take a lot 
of information from them, them from us. Over in Switzerland, one of the prettiest countries on the planet, I think, the cops over there, they're getting political, folks. A Swiss Police Officers Association sent a letter to the Swiss Federation of Police Officers that warned of potential insubordination within the police forces throughout the nation over the enforcement of coronavirus measures. It's a four-page letter. It comes amid similar messages shared on an online platform this association created, and it allows policemen to state their opinions anonymously without fear of sanctions or being sidelined. If the measures were to conflict with the general opinion of the population, disproportionately limiting their fundamental rights, many cops would no longer be willing to apply them. This association, meanwhile, stated the association that sent the letter only represented a part of the 27,000 members of the Federation dismissing any threat of mass subordination among officers. Police refusing to enforce coronavirus measures is not unique in Switzerland. Early this year, police in the Canadian province of Ontario, they rejected new powers given by the government that would have allowed them to stop any motorist or pedestrian and demand to know where they live and why they were not at home. Peel Regional Police Chief Nishan Durapa rejected the measures meant to enforce the province's stay-at-home order, saying, I would like to reassure our citizens that our officers will not be conducting random vehicle or individual stops. Joanna Barron, who's executive director of the Calgary-based Canadian Constitution Foundation, also criticized the expansion of police power, saying, Ontario is one step closer to becoming a police state. So policing coronavirus restrictions, it's it's been a huge issue across Europe. In France, folks, the cops walk down the street. They go up to anybody walking down the street and demand you show us proof of vaccination or a negative test that's been given to you and the results you've had within the last three days. Is that what we want to see here in the United States? Is that what our leaders think we should be headed for? And the lockdowns, I'm not talking about literal COVID-19 pandemic-style lockdowns. I'm talking about lockdowns by government entities on these vaccine mandates. Yesterday, the Los Angeles City Council unanimously voted to require proof of getting a vaccine in order to even be allowed indoors at restaurants, gyms, and other spaces. Kind of the same thing de Blasio did for New York City. The vote was to direct the city attorney to draft an ordinance that requires patrons who want to enter any indoor public spaces to have at least one dose of the vaccination. As of now, it's unclear how the ordinance is going to look like, but the attorney will have to prepare a draft for the city council to approve. It was introduced last week by Council President Nuri Martinez and Councilman Mitch O'Farrell. It's going to apply to restaurants, to bars, to retail stores, fitness centers, spas, entertainment centers like stadiums, concert venues, movie theaters, according to the report. Now, that last section there, listen to what this is going to impact. 
the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Los Angeles Rams, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I mean, all of these teams that have these tens of thousands of people. Baseball's going on right now. Major League Baseball's going on right now. NBA just finished. Football is beginning to start. Then you have football. All the high schools. There are over a hundred high schools in the greater Los Angeles area, in Los Angeles County. Can you imagine what this is going to do to everyday life for those that live in Los Angeles? Big brother. Big brother's out there, folks. And then there's this little critical race thing that's kind of taking the back seat to all this conversation on the, the pandemic, the COVID-19 vaccines, anti-vaccine lockdowns. In Atlanta, Georgia, a mother filed a complaint against her daughter's Georgia elementary school, alleging that the school segregated black students. Why? What was the justification? Well, to give them more opportunities. Keela Posey is her name. She said she filed a federal discrimination complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights against Mary Lynn Elementary School in Atlanta after finding out it had been dividing students into different classes based solely on race. That sounds a little 1950s and 60s to me. She alleged that her daughter was grouped into a class for only black students. We've lost sleep like trying to figure out why a person would do this, she said. First, it was just disbelief that she was having this conversation in 2020 with a person that looks just like me, a black woman. It's segregating classrooms. You can't segregate classrooms. You can't do it. My community, had they known about this, would probably be extremely upset, not just the black parents, but also white parents. She said that the school's principal, Sharon Briscoe, who is also black, said that the segregation would give students more opportunities and implemented the practice last year. Black students were placed in two classes with two different teachers. White students were grouped into six classes with six different teachers. This mom said she found out about the practice when she asked the principal to allow our daughter to be taught by a particular teacher. She said, that's not one of the black classes. And I immediately said, what does that mean? I was confused. I asked for more clarification. And the principal said, yes, I have decided that I'm going to place all of the black students in two classes. And the principal told Posey, the mom, that her daughter would be isolated in the desired teacher's classroom because it wasn't a black class. So how did the attorneys weigh in on this? Well, you know they get in the middle of everything like this. The mother's attorney, Sharice Shields, said that the school is violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that states one group of people can't be treated differently based upon race. The Atlanta Public Schools District has confirmed it has probed the mom's allegations and it has taken appropriate actions. 
How do you fix racism, folks? You use racism to fix racism. I mean, that's all you can say would be the justification here. I thought we finished that. I thought that 1964 Civil Rights Act, that was the skeleton, the structure on which every racial decision is to be based to stop segregation based strictly on color. Use racism to end racism. What a novel idea, don't you think? So have you kept up with all the legislative stuff happening on Capitol Hill? We didn't spend a lot of time on today and purposely. You know, that first infrastructure, that $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal was passed in the Senate. It went over to the House. And uh, that biggie, the big kahuna, is that $3.5 trillion spending plan that's supposed to be for social infrastructure matters, which is nothing more than a bunch of pork and a bunch of egregious big, big government lockdown opportunities, seizing control of things that have been operated by the people constitutionally for a couple of hundred years, 260 years, to seize control of that, put it back in the purview of the Democrats that are in power right now. So, this success of this long term, this $3.5 trillion plan, the budget proposal for it to be even be considered was passed yesterday in the Senate, but that just brings it up to be debated and for amendments and stuff like that. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer yesterday said that he has got a couple of senators who have serious concerns about this package. Joe Manchin of Pennsylvania and Kirsten Cinema from Arizona. Early this morning, this is Chuck Schumer talking. Wait a minute. This is, I'm sorry, this is Joe Manchin, the Democrat senator from West Virginia. He said, early this morning, I voted yes on a vote to move forward on the budget reconciliation process because I believe it's important to discuss the fiscal policy future of the country. However, I have serious concerns about the grave consequences facing West Virginians and every American family if Congress decides to spend another $3.5 trillion. Now, what's he concerned about? Well, obviously, our national debt, inflation. But Schumer said at a press conference yesterday he thinks Democrats will eventually approve a bill with all of these measures in it, although he was light on the specifics of it. There are some in my caucus, he said, the Democrat caucus, who might believe it's too much. There are some in my caucus who might believe it's too little. I can tell you this. In reconciliation, one, we are going to all come together to get something done, and two, it will have every part of the Biden plan in a big, bold, robust way. Schumer said it would absolutely not be easy to do, but said every member of our caucus realizes that unity is our strength. We have to come together. I didn't know that coming together was a prerequisite for government of, by, and for the people. I thought the people were the ones that gave the consensus to those who represent the people in Congress in passing laws. 
So how do we fix it? I, you know, I don't know how to fix it overall. I got an idea. You know, there are a lot of people that say that the United States government is a democracy. It's not, folks. It's a representative republic. And here's the difference. In a democracy, which there are a few countries on earth that still operate as democracies, every issue that comes up that needs to be voted on, every person votes on it. I mean, seriously, you have an election, everything that is necessary that's been chosen to be put on the ballot to be considered, it comes before literally the people, not the people's representatives. Maybe we need to rethink our structure and just get away from relying on 535 people in the U.S. Congress to do the right thing, to come up with the right ideas, to come up with issues and policies and laws that are true representative of what the United States people as a whole in majority in consensus believe. Now, I understand, the. I really understand, and I've been very supportive in my lifetime of the representative republic philosophy. If we had it the other way, it would be based totally on the heavily populated citizenry of the nation. You'd have states like New York and California and Illinois and Washington and Texas and Florida that would determine the outcome of pretty much every election because more people live in those heavily populated areas. Think about if uh, every law, every policy that we lived under was built upon and based upon the concepts and the ideas of people that live in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Houston, New York City, and Washington, D.C. The world that we know, the United States that we know, would look very, very different. But the only other option is to make sure that the people we elect are really representing the consensus of America. We've got to get those people to cut the ties with those that are puppeteers standing over them, treating them as marionettes to do the wishes of the masters. And how do they make that all happen? It's all about money. It's power. And all of the things that come with power that make authoritarian rule look very, very attractive to people that don't give a rip about the consensus of the American people. And there are a lot of them up there, a lot of them up there that are loving the idea of having that in their lives and for them to be in the centers of power and authority and determining all these things for the entirety of the nation. Have you kept up with uh, some of the stuff that's happened up in Minneapolis since that mess that happened a year ago that resulted in George Floyd's death on Memorial Day 2020? You know Minneapolis burned. Black Lives Matter went in there, and for days and days and days, they just ripped the city apart, tore it up, burned buildings, destroyed businesses, there were people that were hurt, seriously hurt. Very little was accomplished other than Black Lives Matter's big thing. The big policy thing they push is the destruction of the police in the nation. Defund the police became the cry. Well, in the middle of all of this, the chairperson of the Minneapolis Democratic Farmer Labor Party 
is defending today a recent op-ed in which he argued that those rioters and the burning of the Minneapolis Police Department's 3rd Precinct headquarters during those riots was an act of pure righteousness and a genuine revolutionary moment. This was August 2nd, an opinion piece for Southside Pride, a local monthly newspaper, titled, The Cops Started It, Minneapolis DFL Chair Devin Hogan argued the burning of the 3rd Precinct three days after George Floyd's death was a proportional response to the treatment of black people by police. Four men have since been sentenced to prison in order to pay millions in restitution over their roles in the precinct's burning. They killed George Floyd, he said, and took every opportunity to escalate, agitate, and make things worse. The cops are rioting and the people are responding. This is in that op-ed by Hogan. Like it or not, setting the 3rd Precinct on fire was a genuine revolutionary movement an act of pure righteousness to open new worlds of understanding. The people declared themselves ungovernable and unilaterally took their power back. The largest international human rights movement in modern history had begun. The youth of Minneapolis carried all of this. The cops started it. The call from the streets was genuine liberation, truly and finally. The work continues until that day comes, he said. Eyes on the prize. Remember the demand of the streets. The blood and treasure spent. This is our job. Minneapolis must answer the call. For real this time. For real to real. Do it for the kids. That is becoming a not so extraordinary opinion of a lot of Americans when you have people like Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota screaming for defund the police. Ayanna Presley, member of the House, U.S. House of Representatives from Massachusetts, screaming the same thing. Rashida Tlaib, representative from Michigan, screaming the same thing. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, did you hear the latest thing that uh, she and her organization have done? They've come out in support. They have come out in support of a group of people that were convicted cop killers. What's that about? I'll tell you what it's about. Black Lives Matter which has been touted by progressive Democrats, has honored multiple convicted cop killers. They sent a text message to supporters last week saying this. Now, this is Black Lives Matter. Black August is when we commemorate the lives of our fallen freedom fighters and political prisoners, prisoners of war and exiles. We honor their sacrifice. The text continued and it went on and on about what activists and social justice organizations can do during Black August. It mentioned signing clemency petitions for Matula Shakur and Sundiato Okolai. Shakur is a former BLA, Black Liberation Army leader, who was the mastermind behind several armed robberies in Connecticut and in New York. Back in 1981, the Brinks robbery resulted in the killings of an armed guard and two cops. 
E. coli was convicted of murdering New Jersey State Trooper Werner Forster during a simple traffic stop in 1973. AOC, Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar have all expressed support of the radical left-wing coalition on their social media accounts. AOC, last summer, she praised BLM on her Facebook page for organizing a project that would help advance the movement to defund the police, invest in black and brown communities. The fight to hashtag defund the police won't happen only in the streets. It's also going to take place in city halls, the Working Families Party, an electoral justice project of the Movement for Black Lives are coming together to launch the WFP Justice Fund. That was a tweet from AOC. Last November, Tlaib tweeted she was committed to fighting alongside the Movement for Black Lives and said, thank organizers. Meanwhile, Ilhan Omar thanked the Progressive Coalition, BLM, last summer for supporting local candidates who want to defund the police. All of these people, they have plenty of security on taxpayer dollars, campaign contributions. They can have their own security, but look at people around you. Look at people that live in the neighborhoods from which these three came from. They don't have that ability. Who's going to protect those people? Do you think when a 911 call comes into police force or some communication center where there's an act of violence going on, that the right choice is to send a therapist down there to try to talk down off of the, the hill of terror, the people that are involved in that incident? They're, that's the replacement. The only kind of replacement concept that has been detailed by any of these people that want to defund the police. The stupidest, craziest idea I have ever heard from any member of Congress. I'm serious, folks. I've never heard anything that stupid. How do you keep a nation, a nation of laws, a nation of people, how do you keep that nation and those people protected? How do you keep the nation intact? The very worst thing that you could do would be to tear down the structure, the skeleton that made that nation what it is, and it begins with what? a declaration of independence in which it was laid out. This is why we're doing this. And then a few years later, a group of them all got together and they crafted a skeleton of legality. Here's how we're going to do these objectives. Here's how we're going to achieve them. It took decades. It took several centuries, but they got it right. And now, Tlaib, AOC, Presley, they want to break it apart. Wow. What a day, folks. Thank you so much for joining us every day. Don't forget, read read Kelly Nelson's story today about what's this nation going to look like next year at truthnewsnet.org. We will see you Friday, tomorrow morning, first thing, 9 to 11, right here on TNN Live. See you then.